In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been trying again and again to explain what is about to happen to him, to his friends. But he is doing it in this very Jesus-y way. He's being cryptic, dropping little truth bombs uh, along the way. In the chapter before our gospel story this morning, Jesus drops one of these bombs as he is coming out of the temple. Oh, by the way, he says, this whole thing, and he's pointing to the temple, is going to come crashing down and just be like totally obliterated. And then he just keeps walking. And the disciples are like, wait, what? (laughs) Uh, The temple is a pretty important structure for them. So they ask him, "Um, Jesus, you know, are you okay? (laughs) You've been saying some crazy things. When is this going to happen? And how will we know this is going to happen? When is this going to happen? And how will we know this is going to happen? These are the questions Jesus is answering when he tells his friends the parable we just heard read. Jesus answers these questions by telling lots of different stories about how we should be ready for the end of the world, for the second coming of Christ, for what awaits us in the new perfect place once Jesus comes again, for the future when life will not be as we know it, but when it will be perfect in the kingdom of heaven. All of this explaining and storytelling and cryptic bombs that Jesus is laying out there are for his friends to try to get them ready. And really what he is doing is not so much preparing them for this end of the world, but actually for his death, which is about to happen. You see, Jesus knows that once he dies, bad stuff, evil, and destruction, and wars, and people being terrible to each other, and destroying each other's temples, Jesus knows that is not going to end. And Jesus also knows that there is hope. There is hope of a better life for humanity. And he's trying to figure out how to get his friends to hear that, to be ready to be able to know that without his help, when he is not walking around with them anymore. And he knows it's going to be difficult for them to understand it. So the story that he tells this morning comes in this context, and that can help us make some sense of it. The kingdom of heaven will be like this, Jesus says. Ten young women with oil lamps 
wait outside the entrance to a wedding banquet for the guest of honor to arrive. And I think the best modern analogy for these oil lamps would be our cell phones. Okay, so imagine 10 uh, young women waiting outside a club to get in with their cell phones. The bride and groom are in separate houses in the town getting ready for the wedding. And the groom goes to get the bride, as was the custom, and when he gets there, they have their own little private party. And then they all head to the main banquet, the club, where the young people of the village will get a chance to go in. As they hold their lamps, phones, and wait, and wait for their time to enter the party, they all fall asleep, or they're scrolling TikTok. The oil in their lamps burns away. The battery is draining. Now, five of them were smart and brought an extra thing of oil. What's that? That's your portable charger, okay? Five of them were foolish and weren't sure their lamps were going to last once they were done scrolling TikTok. This drains your battery, in case you don't know that, to scroll TikTok, okay. So the stage is set now. What is going to happen? Who is going to get in to the club? The five without enough oil ask to borrow some from the wise five. Okay, we have all experienced this. Can I just, can I plug in, please? Can I plug in to your charger? But the wise five say there's not enough. This, you know, I only got one charge. And advise them to go look for some more. So off they go. And of course, just moments later, the groom shows up and the ones who are there get to go in. When the other five come back, not only do they not get in, but the groom says, I don't know you. Bouncer says, club is full, right? At first glance, this is a story all about preparedness. We just need to pack our bags well to have what we need, and Jesus will reward us and let us in to heaven. But with a closer look, it might not be just about preparedness. You see, what were the requirements to enter this banquet with the groom? Well, nowhere does it say he checked the oil level of their lamps. It seems the lamps really had nothing to do with being let in to the party. It seems the only requirement to get into the party was simply to be there, to be there when the groom arrived. And why weren't the foolish five there? Not because their lamps had gone out, but because they wanted their lamps to be on. They kind of couldn't imagine having a dead cell phone at this party. They were worried their lamp would go out and because the other five wouldn't share their oil with them. It's the wise five that suggest the foolish five leave. Instead of helping with another solution, giving them a little juice, they send them away. Does Jesus tell this story to the disciples because he wants them to understand the mechanics of oil lamps? 
Or does Jesus tell this story to the disciples because he wants them to get in to the kingdom of heaven? Jesus wants us to listen and get in. And if Jesus' main goal is for us to understand how to get into the kingdom of heaven, what we see is not that we need to have enough oil to get in, but rather that we need to be there to get in. We need to be there. We need to be there with whatever we have. We need not to be distracted by what others are telling us to do or preoccupied with our own worries about our inadequacy. We just need to be there. What does it mean to, to be there, to be waiting at the door for the kingdom of heaven? Well, before I answer that, and I do have an answer for that, I have a quick digression on our contemporary culture. Media right now is very interested in categorizing all of us into tidy and siloed generational boxes. You've got the greatest generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers, Gen X, the millennials, Gen Z, and the babies being born right now, the alphas. And all of these generations are constantly being pitted against each other in some way, angry with what has been left for us from the previous generation, or disappointed with what the next is doing with what we've given them. I was born in 1985, so I am, no, I am what is known as the elder millennial. I remember the first day I logged on to my Prodigy account. Gives you a, a sense of the date, right? The dial-up hissing and buzzing, I can remember that. But I've lived my whole adult life with a smartphone. As a millennial, I'm supposed to be busy being mad at boomers and Gen X. Whenever someone older, someone I work with, for example, resists technological change, I'm supposed to say, okay, boomer. Whenever I witness someone commit a microaggression against a woman or a queer person or a person of color, I'm supposed to think, okay, boomer. Because you see, I'm supposed to see my parents' generation as totally, and this is another word younger generations use against old, I'm supposed to see my parents' generation as totally cringe. The epitome of cringe boomer culture is the coffeehouse style home decor you can get at places like Home Goods or World Market the loose script words you put on your kitchen wall where you drink your morning coffee in your oversized mug. And it says, live, laugh, love. To my generation, this is the perfect encapsulation of the inauthenticity of these older generations who got what they wanted from broken systems 
and can't understand why the ones trying to fix the broken systems can't just live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love while armed conflicts ramp up in so many different corners of the world. Live, laugh, love while we just experienced the hottest 12 months ever recorded in human history. Live, laugh, love while no one seems to have figured out how we can make schools filled with children safe from guns. And so to the moms drinking the coffee, saying live, laugh, love, we say, okay, boomer. But guess what? My generation hasn't really figured all that much out. Because as it turns out, Gen Zers have already come up with their own ways to make fun of us millennials. Instead of live, laugh, love, they've layered a joke on top of a joke and say to us millennials, instead of live, laugh, love, gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. <laughs> See, I can tell what generation everyone is if you spoke along with that or if you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Have you heard this string of words? Gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. It is a meme on top of a meme, an insult within a joke, within a disappointment aimed at my generation to gaslight, taken from the Ingrid Bergman film of the same name, where a husband lies to his wife to make her think she's crazy, saying the gas lamps outside aren't dimming when indeed he is dimming them. To gaslight means to pretend that what is true isn't true, to make someone else feel crazy, to gatekeep, is to create rules about people's legitimacy, about who is in and who is out, who is worthy. And to girl boss, well, that was a phrase that we millennials thought was good for a while. Back in the days of Sheryl Sandberg leaning in at Facebook when we thought that if only women could just be CEOs, then the fact that these huge companies were basically out to destroy society would be totally chill because the people leading them are women. Slay queen, that's another thing Gen Z says. Slay queen, you say that to the girl boss. So digression over, why am I telling you all this about our generational silos? It's, it's a Jesus tactic to be a little cryptic, tell you a long story. You have to figure out how it fits in. <laughs> but I'm trying to answer the question, what does it mean to be there, to be waiting at the door to the kingdom of heaven so that we can get in? What does it mean to be there where Jesus wants us to be? when the reality of what we have known so far for nearly 2,000 years is that we are waiting and waiting while all the bad stuff keeps happening, losing faith like Jesus knew we would, finally running off to get more oil, the next phone, instead of being there. Well, to the wise five in our story, I say, sorry, ladies, but you just gaslit, gatekeeped, and girl bossed. 
gaslit because why are you acting so sure you don't have enough oil to give a little bit to your friends? They can see you have oil in those extra jugs. Share it. Gatekeep, because why didn't you help your friends get ready in the first place? Tell them you're bringing your portable charger. They should too. <laughs> so that you knew you could all get in together. And girl boss, because why are you telling them that they need to lean in and get their own fresh oil when you know that's going to take them away from where they need to be? Why are the women divided against each other instead of building each other up? I think these wise five are a good allegory for millennial non-intersectional feminism, only interested in their own wisdom, their own goodness, their competitive self-help. They got what they needed because they worked hard. Never mind that they had to push others away to do it. They're at the door and they're ready to get in. In an interview with Yahoo.com, and yes, it's very elder millennial that I'm quoting an article from Yahoo.com, the generational researcher Stefan Pollack explains the layered irony of a Gen Z meme like Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. He says, Gen Z is cynical about the status quo, perhaps more so even than millennials or Gen X. However, they are optimistic about their ability to change it. I don't know for sure that this is true. It's from yahoo.com. <laughs> are Gen Zers optimistic? But I hope it is. I really hope so. Because that is what it means to be there. That is what Jesus is telling us in this parable when he's trying to prepare his friends for his death. He's trying to tell us that it's going to be up to us. The kingdom of heaven is not a place that Jesus gatekeeps. It is a place that he wants us, deeply wants us all to get to. And that means he doesn't want us to gatekeep each other. He wants us to help each other be there. And this takes optimism. Hope that things can change. Hope that the oil we have will be enough. And faith that even if it runs out, if we're there, we'll get in. And above all, this takes love. Love for the people who wait alongside us. The kind of love that keeps the lamps burning, that drives out the evil, that is always threatening to overtake us. Faith, hope, and love. I'm offering you a new yet very old three. These three, as St. Paul famously called them in his letter to the Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, the original live, laugh, love. And Paul 
can be cringe sometimes. <laughs> but this one is good. Faith, hope, and love. These three have the power to break our generational silos. So some of that Gen Z hope can rub off on the rest of us. Faith, hope, and love. These three will allow us to be there at the door, ready to go in together. Because what can happen if we are all there, sharing our oil, building each other up, is that life on this side of the gate can get better. We just have to be there. Amen.